Hey, so today my guest is Leslie Keough. Leslie is a speaker, author, founder, and instructor over at Meditate Montclair in New Jersey. You can also find her online, meditatemontclair.com. She recently had her life story published in the Dayton Daily News. It speaks about a horrific motorcycle accident she had as a 23-year-old and how she went from recovering from that injury to teaching mindfulness and meditation to both children and adults. And she recently had a piece entitled Gratitude published in the Montclair Magazine. And I wanna talk to her about that and how she carries gratitude, how she lives with gratitude, how she practices gratitude. I think it's such a key theme, especially during the holidays, but also how do you take that intention and carry it out when the holidays are over? So I'm very excited to have Leslie on the show and I hope you enjoy it. Leslie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I want to dive in to talk about uh, essentially your life story was published recently in the Dayton Daily News in the article, Arc Deacon, How CJ Got Her Sparkle Back. So this, this article essentially kicks off um, explaining that you were an amazing athlete working a couple jobs, getting ready to go to an Ivy League school, and then you had this horrific motorcycle accident. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that, how it happened in the aftermath of it? Uh, sure. So I was still living in Chicago because I had just graduated from Loyola, and I was working a couple jobs to save money for one last international trip before I went to grad school, and then also to have a Kind of a cushion during grad school and um by day i was teaching swimming and kayaking at the east bank club and at night i was managing this martini lounge and i woke up in ohio <laughs> uh a couple months later and um it was later explained because you know, your brain has this self-protection you know, um, ability to kind of black out or block out um, traumatic events. You don't usually remember time immediately beforehand or the, the actual event. And that's in fact what happened. So even though I was in this terrible motorcycle accident where my boss coerced me to get on his new uninsured motorcycle while I was on the clock and he had no motorcycle license and he'd been drinking, uh, according to my security guard and bartender, you know, I declined and declined and declined. And then after just an hour, he just kind of wore me down. I was like, fine, fine. Oh, fine. I'll go around the block. And you know, I had left all my belongings at the bar, assuming I'd be back in 20 minutes. And instead, I woke up in Ohio a couple months later. So um, I had spent, I don't know, was it a, a week maybe in Northwestern University's intensive care unit? And then when I was stable or stabilized, um, I was moved over to the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. It's now been renamed. I can't really remember. I don't know what the name is now, but, um, and even though I was going through the motions of doing some physical therapy and um, 
visiting with friends and family, it was all so surreal compared to what my actual life was like that I dismissed the whole thing as a dream. And this dream state didn't lift until I was moved back to Ohio and I'd spent, you know, a month or two at my parents' house. And again, everything was so weird and different from my actual life or what my, my life had ever been like that I, again, dismissed it as a dream. For instance, mm -hmm. I taught at the East Bank Club, which at the time was arguably one of the, you know, premier health clubs in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And yet there I was in the occupational therapy room at Miami Valley Hospital doing like basic calisthenics and, you know, pulling cords and doing push-ups, And I'm like, what, you know, like this can't be real. Like, like I watch Oprah Winfrey work out and, you know, like enjoy, like, like this is not what I'd be doing for exercise. And, um, and go ahead. Oh, no, no, it was, it was falling out <laughs> my earbud. Um, and so it was a discussion and it was kind of different from what my mom was quoted in that paper, but I had a number of friends from Chicago that either drove in often to see me or would call all the time. And one of them was the boyfriend of my college roommate. And because I was not processing or responding as quickly as I used to, people talked to me differently at the time. You know, they talked very slow and they would pick, um, they would monitor their, the jargon that they used or like they would, I wouldn't say like talk, baby talk to me, but everything was um, filtered of sorts. And Adam never did. He'd be like, what up, Les, blah, blah, blah. you know, just talk, he spoke like we used to. And so it would, it would engage a part of me that I thought, oh, I'm not dreaming because thank God Adam's still fucking Adam, you know? And mm -hmm. he was the one who said, he mentioned something and I was like, wait a minute, you weren't in that part of the dream. How do you know about the motorcycle? And he was like, what, what are you talking about? I was like, the motorcycle dream, the accident. So then he's like, Les, put your, go in the bathroom look in the mirror, put your hand on your shoulder. And I think my mom said it was the back of my head. And I also think she said Adam was at my house, but neither of those were true. Isn't that funny? I had a brain injury and I remember how it went. <laughs> my mom, God bless her. But um, it was my shoulder and I was on the phone with him. And so he was like, touch your shoulder. See that scar? Like, that's for real. That happened. And I was like, what? This whole thing? Like, I'm living in Ohio with my parents? I gotta go. And I hung up the phone. I ran upstairs and was like, mom. I was in a motorcycle accident. She was like, I know. And I was like, with Dion, my boss? She goes, yeah, I know. She goes, Mike, Mike, come upstairs. That was my dad. And like, then we went over the whole thing and they were like, you remember that? I was like, yeah, but of course I thought I was dreaming. Why would I be on Lakeshore Drive in a, in a you know, hospital gown with two Great Danes walking down Lakeshore Drive? That wouldn't happen in real life. Or like, Alderman Burke came to see me in the hospital because I used to teach his son swimming or, you know, friends in college dressed up as Guns N' Roses and came and put out a concert in, in Northwestern Hospital. Like none of that would actually happen in real life, but it did. And so it was only after 
Adam was able to like distinguish or clarify to me like, no, I'm sorry, babe, this is real life. Like all that happened. And so then I went to the, I went to my regular, you know, three days a week therapy at the hospital in Ohio that I was um, frequenting. And I was like, okay, okay, yeah, I can do this. You know, like, or like all the therapies, I was like, I don't, I don't need to do this. I can do multiplication. I don't need to do this. I can do, and they were like, oh, oh wait, oh, you're, you're, you're okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm really okay. I just wasn't trying because I thought it was a dream. And, and so like, I just timed out of everything, you know, soon thereafter. And then even the therapist that I was seeing, I was like, okay, so I've actually been taking uh, antidepressants I don't want to take this stuff. Like that was real. And so they weaned me off that stuff. Cause I was like, yeah, this is terrible. And I want to feel that it's terrible and like work through it. I don't need to like guy, I'm supposed to be in Costa Rica and Argentina right now. And I'm living at 930 Debbie court in Dayton, Ohio with my parents at 23. Like this is terrible. <laughs> and like, and, and so like, as soon as I woke up, from what I thought was a dream, everything started to clarify. You know, I still didn't have any energy because I lost all my muscle to atrophy and I had a brain injury. So I slept a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but that's when I started to go take a yoga class and a recommendation by my, I think my neurologist to try to follow directions with my body whether it was step aerobics or some kind of physical class and so I took a yoga class because I really liked the one that I had taken in college and boy the teacher was terrible and I was like oh my god I'm half crazy and I could be a better teacher than this and so that's why I enrolled in the school just because I was like well I need something to do and they told me but the neurologists and occupational therapists and everybody said, you know, it's advised that I don't try to go back to work in any capacity for like a year, you know, let my brain mm -hmm. uh, fully recover, rest emotionally, deal with things, whatever. And so I thought, well, if and when it is time to go back to work, a yoga teacher sounds pretty low stress, you know, mm -hmm. because they said being in stressful environments could trigger things or worse yet set back the recovery right like mm -hmm. freezing the brain and um freezing the recovery mm -hmm. by stress so mm -hmm. um that seemed like a win-win to me and so then mm -hmm. I started um teaching all over Dayton and I had moved down to my parents house um yeah. So, and I kind of fell back on some of the event planning skills. Cause when I moved out, I took a, I got a loft apartment in downtown Dayton and I was also doing the event planning and teaching yoga in this residential complex. And so it was low stress and I got to live there and it was a mm -hmm. high school friend. I think that I saw at a wedding who was managing that place. And I was like, man, Tina, I'm losing my mind my parents like I don't know what's you know and I have to stay local to Chicago because now there's a lawsuit pending and blah blah you know I have to stay in this area and she's like oh well maybe we can work something out and so my first job was amazing I, I had got a free 2,500 square foot brand new loft apartment and I just had to throw wow. monthly and teach yoga classes weekly I mean it was ideal and so then yeah. I got to be 
all these cool people and kind of had my social recovery there mm -hmm. for a couple of years. It was cool. Um, yeah, I was pretty lucky. I love the catalyst to all of these events was you decided to take a, med a yoga class and you noticed the teacher wasn't doing a great job and thought I, I could do a better job than this. I mean, you just did it. Like you just enrolled and then like, look at this like whole thing you created just from that one decision. Isn't that wild? It's, it's crazy. I remember his name and I could thank him, but um, it, was a, it was a guy I don't remember. But yeah, you know, it, um, right? In Italian, they say, see, uh, uh, like when one door closes, a bigger door opens, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, this was one massive door that closed in my, in my, in my case. And, you know, a little yeah. door opened that led to another, a bigger door and a bigger door and a bigger door. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it worked out. And it was also really, it was an opportunity to see myself through the eyes of the students again, because psychologically the impact of that accident, you know, was lasted for a couple years where when you, when it's pointed out that you're doing things wrong for, for let's say a full year, everything from Oh gosh, I remember one time my sister was home from college and I was in the bathroom and I got out of the shower and I picked up Q-tips and I was like, hmm. So I, I was Q-tipping my belly button when she walked in the bathroom because I didn't remember where a Q-tip went. And she was like, sis, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. Where do these go? She was in your ears. And I was like, oh, oh, whoops. And you know, like little things like that are um, like I remember she she was nannying maybe she was nannying for family and she brought the little girl over to her house one time and this was when I was still really bad I was still living at home and I was like oh I'll read Gabby books while you make lunch and um so I was reading I don't know she was like four or something three and I was like oh do you know what this is right here and she goes no and I was like that's a rhinosaur and my sister was like what and I was like, right, it's a rhinosaur. She goes, that's not a thing. She was like, don't listen to her, Gabby. Oh my God. So like, but I just did all kinds of, wow. I mean, like all, it's, like when you have, when you have a head injury, it's almost, it, or I'm sure there are different kinds, but like all the things that you learned mm -hmm. through just your own observation, not what you learned in class, because it would, oddly, I was still able to all my, you know, mathematics, you know, and, you know, science, I could understand all of that again, just looking and reading things, but like mm -hmm. the social mores or how to handle yourself when you walk into a room, how to open conversations. Um, except obviously I couldn't remember the name of this particular animal. Uh, Ryan, Nostros, and Dinosaur, but by and large, <laughs> I could remember, you know, things that I learned in school, but all of the, like, social etiquette and, and, like, um, 
idioms, like when things have double meanings, mm-hmm. like I couldn't pick up on that. Or if somebody were to make a joke and ask me something at the same time, I would have to look to my sister or my dad or my mom and be like, what do they mean? And they would explain, oh, well, usually when you say this, it means this, but sometimes it also means this. So I was insecure for, I would say, gosh, almost like a good four years after because because I was corrected so many times mm-hmm. by people mm-hmm. who care, right? Like they just right, of course. wanted me to do the right thing and know how to handle myself. Mm-hmm. I did as well. But that does something to your psyche when you're constantly corrected mm-hmm. yeah. about yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So eventually I would say I aged out of that and just like, you know, you're out in the world you just observe again and you figure it out mm-hmm. and okay, moving mm-hmm. on. So like I met you in what, 2008, I think. And I so right. have been seven years prior. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could just, you know, notice anything weird or suspect that I'd been in a no dramatic accident. But like, so mm-hmm. by you know by then things are fine. But what's mm-hmm. interesting, fast forward, I found myself in a really toxic relationship mm-hmm. where someone was telling me you don't know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about, you know, you're not worth this, like, you don't deserve that, like, all these things that I had thought and felt initially when Mm -hmm. I first came out, like, oh, man, Mm -hmm. nobody's gonna want to date me, nobody's gonna, you know, like, now I have baggage, and there goes my amazing career, and, like, all these things that I had wrestled with at first, I allowed someone to influence me, Mm. even though I had come back from this, you know, really dark, difficult place and rebuilt myself. Then I got into a relationship that I listened to someone else's, um, well, frankly, it's his insecurity, right? That Mm -hmm. does that, Mm -hmm. he always puts somebody else down. But, But I really let it affect me. And it was only, again, through practicing where I got more into meditation. And then I had more volume of students and all these really, really educated, you know, retired people in Montclair and college students, whatever. And then when I started getting feedback from them, like, uh, you're amazing. You should be doing this like on really big stages. Oh, thank you. But I heard from students they reflected who I really am and what my mm-hmm. abilities are and what mm-hmm. my value was or whatever and it was and then you know the more I practiced alone in quiet tuning everything out mm-hmm. the more I found her again mm-hmm. and then it was a reminder like what in the Sam hell was I doing letting this turkey you know cut me down again when I had already rebuilt myself once, like, what is that even about? And so it was actually, it's funny. It was when I walked, I was walking to teach to another sold out waitlisted class that I taught at the adult school Montclair here. And I was just getting these nasty text messages from them the entire walk to the library. And I walk in and all these people are waiting with bated breath for me to start. And, you know, can't wait to see me. And I'm thinking, 
what a I'm just living a lot here you know I'm I'm mm. I'm not practicing what I preach in that I'm telling people to live their best lives and only you know um, choose the energy that they're going to accept and mm -hmm. where they want to vibrate and how they want things to go it's all within your power and whatever and yet my baby daddy's just an absolute tyrant and so it was mm -hmm. actually in that that stage or the, that season that I was like you know I'm kind of done with this and mm -hmm. if I hadn't been connecting with so many different students all over the place who um, built back my confidence and were essentially just a mirror allowing me to see myself I don't know that I would have had um, the wherewithal to walk away when I did mm -hmm. um, because I spent a lot of time I mean backstory we were between New York and renovating a house in the Poconos and I spent a lot of time by myself with our five-year-old because Tony was an event producer he was around the world you know he was in New York he was here he was all over the place and so there was a lot of isolation for a number of years when we had a small kid um, together but then when I moved back to Montclair and I was around people regularly Mm -hmm. who I built relationships with it was so um it was like being back in Dayton honestly you mm -hmm. know like wonderful receptive um kind educated neighbors and friends and students and um and that's what ultimately gave me the confidence to not accept less than what I deserved mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that speaks a lot to a human being's need to have a tribe around them in terms of people you you do reflect the people you surround yourself with, right? And share the ideals. So if you have someone around you constantly belittling you and discrediting your gifts, then undoubtedly those are things that you're just going to kind of sit with. And sometimes it resonates a little bit when it shouldn't, mm -hmm. right? But if it seems like you have this tribe around you that were seeing you for you. Um, I always say if somebody outwardly says mean or negative things about you, it's their own insecurities that are being deflected onto the other person, which is really unfortunate. I don't know this guy, but um, in my own personal experience, anytime anyone has said anything just rude, like no reason to be rude or, or callous or whatever. It's clear it's their own insecurity. They're just, they don't want to hold their insecurity. So they want to throw it onto me, right? But I'm glad that your students um, were vocal in terms of telling you no, like you bring peace, you bring calmness. What you're doing is building a sense of community, which is so important, especially now during COVID. And I, I had this thought in my head as you were talking and I'm, I'm wondering, do you think that there's a part of you and you had to work through in terms of um, getting over a resentment for your old boss that coerced you and convinced you to get onto this motorcycle, you know, convincing you for an hour, basically saying, and he's your boss, like get on the motorcycle. And then that one decision, unfortunately, 
it was four years of recovery, right? Like, did you ever hold resentment for that? And if you did, were you able to release it? Um, it uh, I don't remember holding resentment um, because I think, mm-hmm. you know, I took responsibility, even though, you know, yes, there was some coercion and I was 23 and he was twice my age and he was my boss and, 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 mm-hmm. um, I still decided to do what he asked me. Mm-hmm. So, um, or suggested coerce, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. But I mean, now, now I, there's a book, um, by Dr. Elizabeth Stanley. She's a, um, retired military and she's also a professor, a doctor professor at, um, Georgetown. And she has this great book about wide, called Widen the Window. And so she does these training programs for um, soldiers before they go to combat. Mm-hmm. And when she talks about the window, and this is a long answer for you, but I'll get there. We have a cognitive brain, right? That is reasoning and you know, makes decisions out of like facts and experience and all those things. And then we have our survival brain instinct, hormones, you know, what your body's telling you. And so when you ask me about what happened that night, while I can't talk to you about it, honestly, because I don't remember, but I can tell you what was told to me um, by those who worked with me that night. Um, If I immediately said no the first time he asked, and the second and the third, and up to the fourth or fifth, that was, I was in agreement, my window of my cognitive brain and my survival brain were like, nope. But he kept at it. And my bartender told me, I just eventually was like, fine, fine, get off my back. I'll go on one ride around the block and then I get to come back and close the bar. So what happened there is my cognitive brain overrode what my survival brain was telling me. Mm. My survival brain was like, nope, danger, danger. Like you have no mm-hmm. helmet, he's drinking, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But my cognitive brain was like, well, he is my boss. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 this is conjecture. I don't remember. But from what I know now about how the brain makes decisions, I can assume that I was like, okay, well, I'll be back in 15 minutes. It's going to be quick. I'll get off my back. He's my boss. You know, that was me cognitively talking my survival brain out of a decision it had made to keep me safe and alive mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and we all have to do that all day every day and so mm-hmm. th- that book which I only read in the, this year is one of the things that I try to convey especially to students about how important it is to listen to your body and that's why mm-hmm. I stretch before we teach meditation before I teach meditation classes I teach those slow mindful yoga classes because I want people to learn to pay attention to their body because Mm -hmm. it's going to keep you alive and Mm -hmm. it's going to help you make more informed decisions not just you know I'm not just talking about like dangerous scenarios but like even in the boardroom when you when you're on a table and something just doesn't feel right like what the the final decision of the group the consensus Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't sit right with you in your body. It, something's off and makes you feel, you need to honor that because you know mm-hmm. what, that's not going to go away 
every time you think about that decision and every time that decision comes up, you're going to have that feeling in your body. Mm-hmm. And is that something that you're prepared to ha- you know, deal with forever? And so, it, mm-hmm. but it's also like your body's telling you that for a reason. Mm-hmm. Your body's telling you to go to sleep for a reason. You're overtaxed, mm-hmm. you know, and and you need to learn to pay attention to that information your body is telling you just as much as what your cognitive brain, it, the thoughts, like the verbal activity, all that's mm-hmm. coming in, you know, streaming all day. So, to your, you know, back to your original question, or did I carry resentment? I mean, not really. And people were like, why aren't you mad? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, you didn't go to grad school. You didn't go to Argentina. You didn't do that. Well, what sense is it going to, you know, that, that crying over spilled milk stuff? It is what it is. Like now mm-hmm. I'm doing this and I got to, you know, figure out what's next. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, my family may say otherwise if I remember that, but like, I don't, re- I certainly moved on with my life and mm-hmm. And, um, and hell, when I met you, that was seven years after I certainly, I didn't, you didn't know about it. Like, no. it wasn't like mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't yeah. open conversations with, Hey, check out this scar on my shoulder. You know I mean? It just, it was just a part of, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't identify as a survivor. I just mm-hmm. don't like, it's mm-hmm. just part of my story. That's all. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, that's why I'm not angry. I feel like people who get stuck on a, on a feeling that's associated with a thought or an experience, they're mm-hmm. the ones that get stuck in depression. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, there are other people that do from medical, you know, from physiological reasons, but people mm-hmm. who can't move past the feeling that was tagged to a thought or experience they have, they're the ones who get stuck in resentment and depression. If you can recognize that the more new experiences you have and good experiences you have and all those feelings that get tagged with those new experiences and thoughts and all that stuff, like then you're rebuilding and re, um, restructuring your brain. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't know all this back then. This is, mm-hmm. I've just moved in this direction. And that stuff comes from... Um, Dr. Dr. Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Um, mm-hmm. His a bunch of you know videos and podcasts and books and stuff. But becoming supernatural. I mean, he's so I use his um, research in my classes and instruction as well. That you know, when you have new synapses fire with new experiences and new thoughts and new um, surroundings, then you have the opportunity to tag new emotions to it. And the more positive emotions you have with new experiences mm-hmm. and you just keep re, you know, layering that, mm-hmm. then you're not, I don't say rebuilding your brain, but you're, um, reprogramming it. And yeah, you're creating new neural pathways, right? Yeah, they become I didn't know more, you know. this language or jargon back mm-hmm. then, but that's what I was doing, you mm-hmm. know? In a way. Yeah. I wonder, 
I wonder too, going back to that moment, that decision where you felt like the the father of your children was, um, sorry, my cat here, she wants to visit. So um, that's what this little tale is going around. Um, the, the decision you made of, oh, I'm being lied to. Like I'm actually real, I'm actually selling out classrooms and sessions for my yoga and meditation practices. I'm actually really good at this. I shouldn't be listening to this person give me such negative feedback all the time because that's a lie. That's not actually who I am. So I imagine when that shift happened, the feelings you were carrying shifted as well. So I'm curious when you made that decision to kind of separate and say, okay, I'm going to continue owning my own business as a, as a working mom. I mean, that takes, I, to put it super simply, that takes balls. Like that is such a huge, huge decision. Um, and so much more, you're already carrying weight as a mom, as a working mom, and then you're carrying on even more doing it kind of on your own. How, how did that how was that journey for you? Was it just, you had that realization and then the next day, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Was it a long process or a journey? That's actually um, a a beautiful story. So I had slowly been moving in that direction. Like, I don't think this is a really healthy, you know, situation for me. And, you know, my son would see it and say, you know, mommy, are you going to you know, take that ring off so another daddy can give you a ring who doesn't yell at you. I mean, just, I mean, like, it, there were, there were, it was not an overnight thing that that emotional abuse stuff started and I decided to stop. It was a long time coming. It was just more apparent that it wasn't true and I wasn't going to put up with it. And one particular Saturday, um, I'm sorry, one weekend, I decided to go on, there was a studio around the corner from my house that I'd never been to. And I went to a Reiki and restorative yoga workshop. And so it was a small group, this amazing teacher, Sharon Rudy Kennedy. And when she came around and did hands on my shoulders and my head, I just sobbed. And I sobbed and um, I mean, in it, like, I, I, I didn't want to do this anymore. I didn't want to have all to carry all this pain. I didn't want to carry um, being yelled at. I didn't want to carry having to um, mask or explain away things to my kids that they, or I only had Enzo then, but things that he saw, I didn't want to have to cover for Tony anymore. Like it was just, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to walk in eggshells in my own house. I didn't want to have to feel like I had no agency in my relationship. And I just sobbed and sobbed and she stayed with me. And she, I mean, it was like what she told me later was like exorcist level, the way the amount of energy coming out, the way her hands were moving. And, you know, I, I don't want to say she neglected the other students in that workshop, but she spent a lot of time with me. And it, and I'll tell you what, after that it was like a two-hour workshop and I came home that was a Friday night Saturday we went hiking and we got lost in the woods and of course everything's my fault even though I was carrying the baby in the front carrier and Enzo's holding my hand but Tony's yelling at me about it's my fault we didn't know where you know where we got lost we're arguing we get home 
and he was still yelling at me about God knows what. I said, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go give Stella a bath. I'm going to take a bath with her. And so I go in the bathroom and I'm running water and she's crawling because she's one. And he comes and he slams the door open to keep yelling. And he's like, Aah! and he whacks her in the head. And she got this huge bruise welt on her head instantly. And I was like, that's it. You got to go. Like, I am done with this. Like, now your anger management issues are, in, you know, like you just injured the kid. Get out. And that was it. And I'll tell you what, had I not gone, gone or had I not attended that Reiki session the night before, I don't think I would have had the chutzpah mm. to be that instant firm and made such mm. a, like, I didn't even think about it. I was like, you got to mm -hmm. go out, bye. Mm -hmm. And that was like a mama bear moment. I'd already had mama bear moments with him, throwing glasses in the house and picture frames and all kinds of stuff. But like, I let it all go on that mat in that studio the mm -hmm. night before. And I had said, I don't want this anymore. I don't carry it. I'm trying to purge it. And I let it go. So the next morning it was so clear and it almost came out of my mouth before I even thought about it. And that was it. I kicked him out. He left. And I registered Meditate Montclair as a business. Five, six months later, I don't know, eight months later. Now, it was, I had always been teaching in Montclair mm -hmm. when I moved here in 2015, you know, part time. Um, but I had a baby and, and then I started, I tried to at least teach more. But um, I didn't take it online until COVID, until I had to, mm -hmm. right? Right. Until right. I could reach more people because I taught in Ohio, in Illinois, in California, you know, in Canada, in Florida. And I was like, why not? I have people everywhere. You know, why teach for a studio here that's charging mm -hmm. prices relative to the Northeast that people in Indiana and Michigan and Ohio can't afford, let me do it my way. And so, mm -hmm. you know, fast forward two and a half years, uh, someone's behind in support payments, no surprise there. So when COVID hit and I couldn't go to any of these places to teach the universities, the elementary schools, people's homes, the studios, I was like, well, you know, what is that necessity is the mother of invention? Um, let's just do it. Like I'm home with the kids, neither of them can go to school. Mm -hmm. Let's just do it. And so then I took it online and um, yeah, here we are. I, I'm amazed at just, I think the drive that you have and the clarity that you have um, and I think too, I think it's important to mention, um, your experience with Reiki. I think when you are dealing with so much on a daily basis and it just keeps piling and piling and piling, it's hard. It's hard to get past that, to speak your truth and to stand up for yourself in a way that you are entitled to. So my assumption is that release released you to give you the space to see clearly. Cause I know for me, like I, I absolutely have been in anxious states where 
I'm so anxious. I can't think like I, I literally, it's hard for me to see it's in a way it's hard for me to see straight because I have all these different thoughts and things in my head. But once I can meditate and get that out, then I have a clearer idea and things come to me and I can be stand more boldly in what I believe in and what I want to do. And so I would have never thought of doing Reiki as a way of doing that, but that's, I love that because I think there's a lot of women who carry, especially um, as a mom, you know, who carry the weight of like raising their children, making sure they're safe, making sure they're okay. You know, you're in this relationship, trying to make it work, trying to be okay, especially because you have children and all of that is just layers and layers and layers and layers. And, you know, women carry so much already in this society and it's just there is a limit so I love that was presented as as a solution um because I think I've done experience Reiki once in a a yoga studio and I I definitely felt the energy shift in a very positive way I mean the whole class really like I think to the energy and the intention you bring in the room is really important. And so those that were around me were kind of of the same mindset of we're here to stretch, to breathe, to connect. So it wasn't, I think the people around you also collectively add to that um, energy that's around you. But yeah, and especially now that with COVID and behind on child support it's like your hands are tied you you normally you're in a studio you're teaching but you saw you saw the problems and you just said well here's a solution let's just do it and I will say I attended your meditation class and I like I this is in no way comparison to what you've gone through by any means but I I recently broke my wrist and so I, I was in a cast for about a month or two and then I had surgery and then I was back in a cast um so anyway I used to do yoga every single morning especially during COVID to help bring me back to baseline of normalcy Mm -hmm. and since my wrist energy I I haven't done anything because I can't put any pressure on my wrist I can't lift anything I can't yeah I'm super limited actually that's it's frustrating because now is when you want to be active and be outside um but I sat in your meditation class and it didn't even dawn upon me how needed it is to be centered, to let that stuff, to work through that stuff um, and how beneficial your classes are. I mean, it's a community of people that come together with the intention to breathe, to focus on um, the statement you present of the day, which is always a beautiful sentiment to kind of breathe and focus on. And I realized it was a 30 minute meditation, 20 minutes in, my mind is just going crazy. And I'm like, why, why do I have all these thoughts? Why is all these things? And I thought, oh my God, I haven't sat still mm-hmm. and just breathed. And since my injury, because I've been on this, like, you know, it's been a tumultuous experience breaking my wrist and then there are fires up here and it's COVID and it's a surgery and it's a whole thing. So it was not a fun <laughs> hasn't been a fun journey for me but um yeah the the fact that you you still are offering this opportunity for people to kind of get back in themselves and to realize what is important and you mentioned this earlier listen to your body and be in tune with what your body is feeling and really connect to that so you can make better decisions and be 
more grounded in what you want. And I, I think that's just such a beautiful thing. And I think, especially, I know I keep saying this, but as you know, you're essentially a single mom doing all this. I know there's so many women out there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like there's definitely single moms out there and with COVID, you know, there's a huge job loss and it's like the kids are home and they're trying to teach their kids and, you know, trying to work and it's just this struggling act, but to get back to the breath, to get back to just taking that self-care time for yourself. Um, I know we mentioned this earlier too, because again, your schedule is insane. Like you teach your own classes, you have kids, it's homeschooling, it's all the things. So, and the last meditation class I took with you, you mentioned, you know, there's the hours, the golden hours of, I believe it's like from five to 7 a.m. where like that's your self-care time. And that's the time for you that you can sit and you can breathe and it's quiet before the kids get up. So that way you fill your cup and you feel full enough to be present for your kids and for your students. And I mean, I, I hope your kids realize the amount of work you're doing to be present for them. I know I would be super grateful. And I think with the idea of gratefulness, I, I kind of want to transition into this piece you just published um, in Montclair Magazine entitled Gratitude, mm-hmm. because it is the holiday season, right? Um, unfortunately, it's a weird holiday season with COVID. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to eat. There's a lot of things to not be grateful for, um, but there's just a few quotes I wanted to highlight because I think this was so beautifully written and I wanna get um, a little insight for uh, where this came from. So the first thing from the article gratitude, gratitude is a necessity support structure for living a mindful and meaningful life. So essentially like, you know, it's saying gratitude is necessary if you want to live a meaningful life. And what, when you were writing this, like, what was the intentionality behind that? And how did you come up with this sort of idea? Well, I, I think, um, and I think actually one of your questions earlier today about was I resentful after the accident, they all, they all mm-hmm. kind of come back to the same thing. I mean, I am aware, even though I went through that terrible tragedy back then, and I'm going through a a a difficult transition time right now i am aware that i am an educated white woman living in the west with a loving family and tons of supportive friends and colleagues so Mm -hmm. just starting there for me to be bent about the hand that i was dealt at a certain period of time and you know a woe is me Mm -hmm. that's just ignorant like mm-hmm. I have it so good to begin with that to not acknowledge that and to just focus on what I don't have right now mm-hmm. is ignorant mm-hmm. and unaware and selfish. And so the gratitude, I mean, that should be everyone's baseline right? Like for people who pray every night, things that they're grateful for, the people who talk about their day with their kids, what happened that made you smile today? What, you know, Mm -hmm. can you share 
you know, there's a there's a game I play with the kids, um, Rose, Bud, and Thorn. So like, what was the rose of your day? What made you happy or what was great or wonderful, whatever? What was your bud? Something that was difficult or challenging, whatever. I'm sorry, the bud was, I'm sorry, I did that, I inverted those. But the thorn is what was challenging or difficult. And then the bud is something that you're excited for or what you're thinking about the next couple of days. And like, mm-hmm. even just those basic games with kids or people who do pray, you know, and recite things or write journal things about things that happened. Like, if you're only focusing on that which you don't have or that which you're lacking or that you're desiring or, you know, X, Y, Z, you're missing half the story. Like, Mm -hmm. you're not aware. You're not paying attention. You're not awake. You're not mindful. Because... I'm taking this philosophy class right now at the school of practical philosophy. Actually, we just finished last Wednesday night, but you know, they talk about the idea that beauty is everywhere. And I, I've always, I mean, I'm a photographer, but I've always just seen beauty everywhere. Even when Mm -hmm. things are terrible and upside down and backwards as this, we are in this global pandemic, but you know what? Part of our job or part of the duty of the human experience is to still find joy amidst the suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And so that joy can manifest as gratitude. And and it can be as simple as, you know, Enzo saying, oh, I love when you buy this bread. Gratitude. Or mm-hmm. as I walk Stella to the car to go to preschool, she's like, yay, it's a sunny day. Look at mom, it's a sunny day. And like, I will say a lot of my appreciation for gratitude has come from having children who are naturally grateful, happy, happy, you know, happy beings. And so Mm -hmm. just being, just observing them, being around them, participating with them, like if you aren't affected by the happiness and joy and gratitude of little children I don't think you're really paying attention I think mm-hmm. that's their natural state and to be honest I think it's all of our natural state we we just pile on layers and layers of self-created you know it's all that um chatter that mm-hmm. negative spiral that our own brain creates it's not real mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so if we are able to pay attention to that negative negativity spiral or that unhelpful chatter that's actually pulling our attention from what is and what's around us and what we have and what we should be grateful for, mm-hmm. then you're just asleep mm-hmm. or you're, or you're not aware because if you were aware, you would see, all the amazing things that are actually around you mm-hmm. coupling with the difficult challenging things but like mm-hmm. you know there's so much to be grateful for all the time and if you can start there day in day out and you start projecting the energy that you are grateful for things mm-hmm that energy is going to come back to you and your life changes for the better.
period. It's, you know, how it do is, you how do you stop the negative self talk? Well, first, how you do you get to, how do you get on that that wagon of just be aware that it's happening, right? Like right. Mm-hmm. And I and I will say all the, the a lot of the books that I'm reading lately, I like like there's one how to be an anti racist. I like that he starts at the beginning of every chapter with definitions because if you don't mm-hmm. have definitions, it's really hard to talk about this stuff, right? Like you mm-hmm. you spoke earlier about how moms carry all this stress and just layers and layers. Okay, well that's called the allostatic load. Allostatic load. So like all these stuff that certain cultures that experience racism all the time, you know women that are discriminated against like all that stuff that you carry with you year after year after year and it builds Mm -hmm. and if you're not aware of that how do you dissipate it if you're not aware Mm -hmm. of it how do you address it if you're not cognizant of it how do you account for it and so when you talk about the negativity spiral or that verbal chatter that that self-doubt that anxiety all that stuff like if you're not aware that you even do it Mm -hmm. you can't fix it and that's where slowing down, turning off the music, turning mm. off the television, mm-hmm. getting quiet, sitting by yourself, spending time alone, journaling, reading, in quiet, whatever, until you can hear yourself and what's actually happening when you turn off all that outside noise, you can't really even address your negativity spiral or your negative chatter because you don't even know you're doing it you're so distracted Mm -hmm. by you know the next Mm -hmm. show on netflix or you know whatever it's it's you you have to slow down and give things terms and and this is you know part of one of the tenets of you know yoga practice is finding teachers right reading studying self-study like you have to Mm -hmm. continuously you say you have to it is advised (laughs) that you continuously study you know I mean yeah I read more books now than I did five years ago ten years ago but also because my kids are finally not in diapers but like it's all I mean you can't stop right self-study self-study is a lifelong journey and the more you know you should become your own best teacher, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be your own best teacher. So yes, you have different teachers at different parts of your life. And Mm -hmm. this philosophy class, it says that whoever's in front of you or whatever's in front of you is your teacher, Mm -hmm. right? Your Mm -hmm. wrist has been your teacher for quite Mm -hmm. some time now, right? Mm -hmm. My children are my teacher, every teacher, plural, every single day. This pandemic is all of our teacher. Mm-hmm. and what ha- we can choose to learn from it mm-hmm. or we can just be angry all the time mm-hmm. and whatever lessons that are available you're not going to learn and so um I think I forgot your original question <laughs> I I don't remember but I I when you mentioned like what's in front of you is your teacher and that my wrist has been my teacher and alternatively I, I can either learn from it or alternatively I can just be angry about it. I, I think that's so true because, you know, it's been such a huge, my whole life has changed to cater to this injury. 
Um, truly, I, I couldn't, my husband had to help me comb my hair. He, like I couldn't, I, I literally couldn't, it was my right hand. So it's my dominant hand. So I can't write, I can't do all these things for a very long time, but you know, it taught me to slow down and it taught me to just the importance of patience and really being grateful that I have another hand. And it's so, it's so interesting that I never thought about it in this way until I lost the ability of one hand, how grateful I was that I had even one hand working and that I have two legs that are working, right? And I think too, you were mentioning it's important to kind of sit down and, and be still and be quiet and listen to what, what your mind is saying, what your body is saying so you can be rooted. And I don't know if you're open for this, but I think because I'm sure there's some viewers that are like, oh, that sounds great. But like, I don't know what to do. What does that mean? Like slow down, take a minute, with, like sit on the couch, just like stare at a wall. Um, I know for myself, you know, sometimes my days are so crazy. It's like, I don't have an hour. But do you think you could lead a one minute meditation just so, because I know one minute of just breath work in and of itself can create a huge change in how your body and your mind state are do you think you can lead us in a in a quick one minute just to kind of showcase what it can do and how your practice works I know it's longer typically than a minute but for podcast reasons you can do an awareness exercise in one minute absolutely okay well let's find a comfortable seated posture and finding a an alignment that is both comfortable yet alert and a posture from which you need not move for a minute. Consider from the waist down, releasing the weight of your body into the chair or the floor. And from the waist up, Think about lifting out of your waist, lengthening your spine. Softening your face, softening your belly. Maybe resting your hands on your thighs, knees, or maybe holding your hands in your lap. Begin to feel the weight of your feet on the floor. The weight of your body in the chair in your seat. Feeling the weight of your neck and shoulders perhaps compressing your lower back. Maybe you're able to sit just a little taller and pull your shoulders back and down, noticing any tension you might be holding in the neck and shoulders. And see if you can soften 10%.
And as you inhale through the nose, and exhale through the nose, consider or uh, incorporating a square breath. So inhaling for four count, holding a four count, exhaling a four count, and then holding the breath for a four count. Soften your brows. Release any tension in your jaw. And as you continue with the square breathing, feel dance of air on your face, on your hands. Observing smells in the room. Noticing tastes in your mouth. And if you have eyes closed or gently open, observing light and shape without focusing or looking around. Continue with your square breath. Accept sound. Observing the faintest, furthest sounds to the loudest, closest sounds. And just rest in this awareness for another minute or two. brain begins to chatter, 
Simply guide your awareness back to the sensation of your breath. Where it first meets the body, touching the nose, back of the throat. Noticing how very different you feel now from when we first began. Take one more full belly breath. Invite yourself back to this body, back to this room. And gently flutter your eyes open. You can bring hands to heart center and close together with the namaste. If you wish to chant namaste with us, you close in that salutation, draw an inhale. Namaste. Mm -hmm. I feel pretty awesome. <laughs> it's all available to you all the time, right? Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm on a different plane. That's every time. Um, I wanna, I wanna close with another quote from your gratitude article. Again, published um, in Montclair Magazine. Reflecting on gratitude regularly combats a negativity spiral, and viscerally shows people how much better positive thoughts feel. Well, we got a taste of it just now, right? If you feel yeah. better, all we did was quiet and still that chatter. Yeah. Imagine how good you can feel when you're focusing on what it feels like in the body when you're grateful. You feel warm, invite a gentle smile to your face. And I think, I believe that releases serotonin just by offering a gentle smile while you're meditating. Um, and the sensations that you have in the body when you're focusing on gratitude, you're thinking about other people, you're thinking about kindness, you're thinking about love, you're thinking about um, all positive feelings and that has a visceral effect on your body, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. just as Conversely, if you're focusing on negative thoughts and negative feelings and anxiety and um, anger and regret and hate, right? We know what happens in the body when you focus on that stuff. Mm -hmm. So the inverse is also true. And how wonderful 
that it's available all the time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Free. Yeah. Oh my God, I sound like a hippie, don't I? I had to <laughs> I did I did stop altogether drinking alcohol by and large at the very beginning of COVID. And I never was a big drinker anyway. I mean, I think I shared some champagne with my neighbors or Prosecco with my neighbors on my birthday in March, you know, socially distancing, of course. But like, I was like, you know what? This is a really, this is like a fork in the road for a lot of people. Cause it's going to get people who have, you know, we all have on the spectrum of, um, we're all on the spectrum of addictions to things, mm -hmm. right? And not that I, I didn't even drink that much to begin with, but like when noticing or the state of affairs in the spring when people were all anxious and buying toilet paper out of stock and doing all stuff, like I was like, you know, it could get really bad if people are abusing stuff mm -hmm. in their homes because they have all this anxiety right and mm -hmm. the great unknown is upon us and we've never dealt with this mm -hmm. and that was what i really enjoyed that article it was in new york times about how you know if you feel sluggish and tired and kind of fuzzy it's because our cognitive brain has nothing to compare this current situation to mm. so it's almost like our a lens in your eye that's trying to focus and it's going back and forth and back and forth it's it's being overworked and it can't find anything to relate this experience to to make sense of it right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and we're all feeling that a little bit to a degree but like i was like this is not i if i drink alcohol every time i get worried or sad or you know whatever and i'm by myself that could go really south really fast and and, and i never drank that much to begin with so i just stopped that altogether. there's none in my house and I also found, because I am secretly a little bit of a hippie, I also stopped drinking coffee. I'm on wow. what's called blood water. So I'm drinking mushroom coffee because I was kind of an espresso queen, snob, whatever you want to say. And I had a bunch and I wasn't sleeping as well. Da, da, da. And mm -hmm. so like also contributing to how I, I, I believe like I, my system's really clean and clear right now. And I believe that's also helping me stay positive and focused because mm -hmm. I don't have those toxins in my body. I, I, I'm not on that roller coaster of, I need a ton of coffee in the morning and then I have alcohol at night to breathe. You know, I'm not on that roller coaster anymore. And I'm real mm -hmm. even keeled, sleeping mm -hmm. better. So I'm not telling him, I'm not advocating that for everybody, but like, I can tell you, I feel amazing. And my meditations are better because I'm not having an espresso in the morning and then mm. sitting down and, you know, you, you had talked about, you couldn't turn it off in your 20 minutes. Well, it's really hard to meditate when your heart is beating out of your chest. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I have found that that is helping my practice mm -hmm. by cutting caffeine I still eat an extraordinary amount of dark chocolate so I'm not, <laughs> out of the yet. but um but you know I'm not on that roller coaster of up and down right yeah and I'm sleeping better so I'm able to bounce up at 5 30 or 6 before the kids get up I mean I'm, I mm -hmm. couldn't do that if I was coffee wine coffee wine you know 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I drank a lot of wine initially during COVID and then it got to a point where I was like, I just, I don't think this is going to work. This isn't like a long-term solution. So I, I started purposely planning out every single day I need to do something active. And for me, it was like, wake up and do yoga. That's just the easiest thing I can do. Um, so, and it's interesting because once I made that conscious decision, I found, um, and I, I spoke to, uh, a friend of mine, she's a nutrition and fitness coach. And she was saying kind of the same thing. Like she, she doesn't really drink at night because she wants to get up and feel active and feel good to do something that's good for her body. Right. And she eats a certain way because that makes her feel good when she like wants to go out for runs, et cetera. So yeah, I think it's, I think it all ties together because it's not just physical health, it's mental. And to your point, I've been, I drink a lot of coffee as well. And I've been trying to cut down a little bit because it's true. It's like, I tried to meditate in my mind, which is like, bah, 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 like telling me all these things. And mind you, I did not have coffee right before. <laughs> it was still going crazy. <laughs> but um, no, I think that's a good point to everyone, right? Because it's, it's, advice really it's like you know coffee can be it's addicting you know I get headaches when I don't drink it and that was the other thing I didn't want to feel first thing in the morning like I was addicted Mm -hmm. you crave it because you're all fuzzy and I was like ooh, like I don't want to feel like I need anything Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um and it's easier for some people and again you know COVID happened. So I didn't have to get up and get the kids out the door and I hadn't got to my job. So it was easy. It was an easier time to experiment with reducing caffeine Mm -hmm. than it would be under normal circumstances. Right. And it just so happens it feels better and I'll probably stick with it. But, um, but yeah, try it if you're home. Mud water, they're out of LA. It's like, you know, all the different mushrooms, uh, cacao. So it looks like hot chocolate. It's, um, chai tea and there's Himalayan sea salt plus turmeric and all this I mean it's wonderful for you so it's mm. yeah it's, anyways sorry about I'll that. check it out I am I am a coffee addict through and through but I'm cutting down <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing I just really you enjoy a, you can put a little bit instant coffee in it oh okay okay I do that I, I've, I've not altogether given up all coffee okay. <laughs> tablespoon in my mud water. <laughs> I gotta say I'm not I'm not on your level Leslie. I, <laughs> I'm trying to get there but I'm not <laughs> I'm not there. I like my sleep. I like my coffee. Um well this has been such an awesome time with you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being such an inspiration to women not just in the U.S., but all over with what you're doing with your business and your drive and your enthusiasm towards helping adults and kids um, be more mindful and present and grateful. And I and you're online now because of COVID, so really anyone can reach out to you and you teach both adults and children. What is the best way for someone who is watching this and or listening to this and thinking, yeah, I really should practice meditating um it probably it's great for children as well to get them into that practice how should they find you and reach out to you um well i have uh, my website is meditate montclair and there's information there if you're new to practicing any kind of 
you know, introspective self-care modalities. So if there's a Q and A there, um, and also I'm on Instagram, meditate Montclair. So you have an idea of what my life is like, right? I try to mm-hmm. pull in mindfulness tips and, um, practices on there. So you get an idea of what I'm like as a person, as a mom, um, how I keep my house and whatnot. But, um, but what I'm offering a program right now, which I'm hoping to encourage friends or family members to sign up together because I'm doing a one-for-one program, you know, like Tom's shoes. So if someone were curious about practicing and they wanted to ask their mother or their daughter or their uncle or whatever to try it, Mm -hmm. they don't have to tell that friend or relative or colleague that they have to pay for it, that Mm -hmm. if you buy a class, you can give a class away. So the idea is to get the content out to as many people as I can, Mm -hmm. specifically to those people that wouldn't set aside time or money to work on themselves. But we all know that the people who say, I can't meditate, it's not for me, that they need the most, right? Yeah. So that one-for-one program is, I think, somewhat groundbreaking in this space because I don't know that anybody else is doing it, but it's available because we're online. I'm not limited by studio space Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And I figure the more people that we can equip with the tools to kind of regulate themselves during the good times, the normal times and help bring themselves back to homeostasis during the difficult, challenging times, the better, right? Mm Because selfishly, if we're all in a better place mentally, society benefits, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not just for me or it's not just for you. Mm -hmm. If we're all able to monitor, be aware of, make changes to, you know, our mental state, then society benefits. So it's bigger than just me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because one person, one person carrying gratitude, positiveness, um, thoughtfulness, they're going to relay those emotions and thoughts onto whomever they encounter. Right. And so those encounters are going to be much different than if they're harboring anger and resentment and bitterness. That's right. Contagious, they say, you know. Yes. Yes. Please, everyone get um, get on Leslie's site, Meditate Montclair, do that one for one. That's an awesome program. So just one person sign up and then, you know, uh, classes for free to whomever you think can utilize it. What a great holiday gift, by the way, because it's the holidays. Yeah, we so, have of 10 classes for $100, monthly unlimited. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I should put some gift cards or something on there. Good idea. Yeah, yeah. Everybody check out Meditate Montclair. Leslie Kiosk, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for being on the podcast. And thank you to everyone She's awesome. And yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Aaron. Bye, everybody.